Welcome to Navigating Change, everyone, the podcast from Tybel Inc. My name is Pete Wright, and that there is Howard Tybel. And that there is Pete Wright. I want to talk to you about organizational anxiety. You know, we've been talking a lot about uh, what happens next uh, as we're, we're trying to move through transformational, transitional periods in, in our institutions. And, and uh, you know, I, I get to thinking about how you approach a team that is dealing with, you know, what, what we may loosely term as irrational anxiety. Uh, as you're leading them through the uncertainty that comes with transformation or new frontiers. Uh, and, and I know you approach this in, in your consulting work. I'm hoping you could share some, share some of your thoughts with us. There's so much to say here. So, you know, the longer I do this, the more I realize uh, there's a certain kind of human behavior that you really cannot change. And some people are wired to have uncertainty be something that they go, okay, here's an opportunity for me to, to do the next best thing. And, the, and, and there's other people who are wired like, uh-oh, this is going to be bad for me, right? And then there's people in the middle who haven't decided yet but are, are willing to invest enough of themselves to figure out if it is going to be bad or not bad. You're talking about that irrational side, which is really a, a reaction uh, versus a decision, you know, a choice. And I think that in my work in higher ed, especially now, uh, there's a need to uh, help people make choices around their react, their natural reactions they're going to have. You know, if I told you you're moving, mm-hmm. right? Right. Your first reaction would be, wait, 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 wait. What do you right. mean I'm, I'm terrified? Moving? Right. Yeah, I'd be terrified I, there, too. There's, there's natural fear. There's uncertainty in my, you know, if I'm moving, then I may be on my way to be terminated some, for some reason or, or downsized right. or, or reorganized. Or a really good one. You're going to have a new boss. Oh, oh, my God. I mean, think about the, the, the initial sort of almost like autonomic reaction to you're going to have a new boss. Right. And... Most people uh, on the other side of this end up in a good place, but we put ourselves through so much internal like uh, craziness, anticipating how this is going to be bad for us. Now you put this, you put ourselves on a campus. I was thinking about this recently. You know, I have the benefit uh, of, and I joke with clients about this, is that you know. I think when we walk away, when we do our best work, they walk away and say, this is very helpful. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, it's easy for me to say these things because I get to walk away, right? right? They have to live with it. I do not underestimate how hard that is to have to live in uh, the place where they're trying to make change. But at the same time, uh, it is everywhere right now, uh, this sense of, Anxiety, and I and I would suggest that the anxiety has more to do with uncertainty than it has to do with difficult choices. So, what right? what is the, rolled up into uncertainty? Anything from are we going to survive the fact that every year upon year, I'm just going to pick this as an example, that we're running at a deficit. Uh, uh, 
the real ones, and again, this is a that's at a board level and at a, at a cabinet level. At the staff director, uh, associate director, vice president level, they they are saying to themselves, uh, "Is this any different today?" and is, is my job secure? I mean, at the heart of what this comes down to, for every single person, I don't care if you're the president or if you're on the cabinet or you're, or you're down anywhere in any organization, the question is, is my position safe? You know, it's, 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 you know, it's the Maslow's you know, yeah, hierarchy, hierarchy of needs. needs sure. and, and I think that what people are going through today, and I don't think it's just in higher ed, I think it's everywhere, is – between the economy, between you know the the broader issues around terrorism, the NSA, there's so many issues that are producing uncertainty for people mm-hmm. that I think that we're running around having a hard time focusing and prioritizing. I don't know about you, but I'm noticing more and more, including in myself, the challenge in knowing even how to prioritize what I should be focusing on. And when I work with when we work with you know cabinets. You can tell that they're overwhelmed with all the things they should be doing and what's the difference between a strategic initiative versus a tactical initiative. Right. This is a signal and noise, signal versus noise uh, yeah. discussion. So so here's here's something that I've been doing, and I can tell you consistently, people, and we've talked about this in the past, this managing, this managing through change, right? Managing yourself and others through change. And it really is about recognizing that there's a natural cycle that we go through in times of change. And the cycle follows a very simple path of I'm comfortable to are you kidding me? This is, what do you mean we have to do X to okay, maybe maybe I can make that work to this is great. Right? That right. that um, and in each one of those is is an emotional reaction, and in my observation of business today, uh, is that people live in this state of denial and confusion, and they bounce back and forth. And and I, and my message to people more and more is we need to elevate what confusion means, as a positive state of coming out of uh, denial. You know, deny. And what I mean by denial is how you know you're in denial is your reaction to something is frustration, anger, and fear. Right. Well, because and, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I just want to kind of add to that. I mean, it, it feels like you, you know, it, it, when we're talking about managing it, it can be kind of an amorphous term, right? I mean, we're leading a team, which is this blob of kind of this unit of activity of potential activity, but really, we're leading a, a team of individuals, and the, the fear exists as in all of us as individuals. Fear of a new boss, that means a new kind of judgment. Fear of a new place of work, that means uh, new potential areas for me to fail. Uh, right. 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 F- fear of new you tasks, fear of fear of new opportunities for me to trip up new coworkers who don't yeah. know me very well, and they're going to be judging me not just as a professional, but as, a, a, you know, socially too. And these kinds of fears are are so tangible when you're in a period of high flux. Uh, and, See, and so I think that's one of the things yeah. it always comes back to for you, which I think is so valuable, which is this idea of individualism uh, as, as a real both source of anxiety and source of power. 
So when you say individualism, what do you mean? What are you distinguishing that from? Well, I, it, it, as opposed to uh, focusing on, um, you know, when, you, when you're working with teams, you're working with managers who see teams as teams of individuals who are all dealing with yes. real human issues. Yes. Uh, rather than a leader. And how do you communicate, leader? How do you, you know, stand in the front of the room and present yeah. better? How do you, when, when the real issue is, it doesn't really matter, uh, you know, how you stand in front of this giant team. It matters how you yeah. get down on your knees to serve your team. And, 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 you know, and I'm sure you've heard this before. I'm sure people listening to this have heard this before. There, there is no such thing as an organization. And that's one way talk, of thinking yeah, talk about, more about that. Right. It's, it's really about a group of people who've come together and it's their individual identities and actions and behaviors that cause things to happen. We happen to call it an organization or a department, or a division, or a company, or whatever we want to call it. But really, in the end, behavior change happens at the individual level. You know, And what's fascinating for me, and I'll give you how I know that this is really true, is when I'll do these workshops, at the end and I go around, so what'd you get out of this? Nine times out of 10, the thing that resonates most with people is it's so helpful to know I'm not the only one that's feeling this way. It's, it's amazing. I've done this with thousands of people, and they're always always surprised. they're surprised to hear and 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 pleased to hear that what they're going through on their own is what their peers are going through. And that is very comforting to know that it's normal. You know that that's that's the thing. It's like, oh my God, am I somehow uh, am, am I somehow not normal in this? And they walk away going, you know what? Feeling feeling frustrated and angry that you're calling denial, Howard. That's normal, and that's that's the other thing that's so fascinating is in, in in communicating this model of going from contentment to denial to confusion to renewal. Not something I invented, but I've been using a lot in my work. That idea uh, helps people understand, and I tell them it's not wrong that you're in denial or that you're pissed off. It's not wrong. You have a right to be pissed off, but the problem is, is when you just get stuck in that place or you all get together to just reinforce why everybody else is wrong and you're right, that nothing's going to change. So to me, it's about a choice, but it starts with recognizing where you are. And that it, it, so, so get back to rational anxiety. Um, on a campus, I think when I think about change management – uh, there is a need from senior leadership to recognize there will always be a subgroup. Uh, and by the way, it's a lot smaller than it comes off as. But they're the loudest voice. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But so, but again, you know, and again, people love, you know, the administrators love to use faculty as an example. And I think it's completely unfair because you could do the same thing with administrators. You know, you could say that the, the problem is the administrators not really uh, being open minded to what are they doing that are, is contributing. But there's a perception that whether a, a difficult employee, a faculty member, a difficult board member all it takes is one or two people to give the impression that this group has this kind of negative perception. And what I try and tell leaders is do not cater to that group. Listen. Actually, this is what I say. 
So I'll, I'll, you know, someone will raise their hand recently in a talk I gave, and they said, well, what do we do about this group that doesn't want to change? We have a department, none of them want to change. Um, or, or the people that are in there don't want to change. I said, well, you got to do two things. You got to respectfully listen to them, and you need to ignore them and move forward with your initiatives. You are not going to change some of their minds. Right? I think what happens is we, we, we really want to get everybody on the program. Not everybody's going to be on the program. And actually, it's interesting when I say that, people are actually relieved to hear they don't have to get they don't have to convince everybody that this transformation or direction is, is, is a good thing. But I said when I said to people, you know what? You need to let them decide for themselves, respect them. But ignore them and move on with your initiative. It's 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 a it's a very simple reminder. But they really appreciate being reminded. They don't have to be the one to convince this really difficult group. Right. You know, it, it, we talk about it as irrational anxiety, but that sort of sounds more like irrational leadership, right? That that you have mm. uh, you have this sort of complex that that a leader means you have to pe- appease all the people all the time. It's so much more satisfying, too, isn't it, though? Yeah. I mean, if you can convince the most difficult person, I mean, it's almost like we can we get into this. Right. Uh, it almost becomes a, a, a competitive thing. Oh, you know, sure. Like, I'm going I'm to convince you. Which is why so many people become leaders in the first place, right? There's a natural competitive spirit that leads, that, that sort of compels people to be leaders yeah. of groups and to win elections well, and to win nominations, right? Well, what's interesting, I think the leadership competency is around really getting people to collaborate. And, and leaders, I think, historically have been trained in how to tell others what to do, that doesn't work anymore. Right. Because there has to be, there's so much more of a need, you know, just pick, pick a campus, HR, information technology, the, 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 um, the faculty, the administrators, they, when they want to put a change in place, it requires that you get representative bodies from these different groups to come together to make decisions. It's no longer any one person saying, here's what we're doing, right. uh, an email goes out or a memo goes out, and somehow it magically happens. And this is, this is the transformation that we're in. And I want to say one thing about transformation, Pete. It's, it's a word we throw around a lot. I think it's a great word because what it points to is, uh, you know, it's almost you can think about transformation as both a noun and a verb, like an action. We're in the process of transforming. And then there is this outcome out there that I actually don't, I actually think if we're honest, we don't know where this is going to end up. And I, and I speak specifically around higher education, right? There's a lot of pontificating about what we think is going to stick, not stick. And we're arguing about, I was thinking about this morning, we're arguing about who's right and who's wrong, as opposed to what do we want to invest in? You know, I was thinking this morning that I was going to in my next uh, retreat that involves uh, some faculty and leaders, I'm going to actually have the faculty argue a point uh, that is against what they believe. And I'm going to ask the administrators to argue a point against what they believe. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to not defend their point of view. Because I think everything we're doing these days more and more is about looking at something and saying whether you agree or disagree, which I think is, is, is a red herring. 
right. to focus on whether you agree or disagree on something. So this this is an area where I'm 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 looking to hopefully get people to step back from their point of view and their anxiety to say, all right, pl- play devil's advocate in this conversation. How would you argue for this, even though you are vehemently against this? And I've done this before, and it's a powerful exercise. Oh, I can imagine. I can yeah. imagine. Uh, there, there are these symbols uh, that that allow us to find uh, affinity with an idea, right? And and I think what you're getting at, and one of the things that's sort of a powerful message for me is that um, y- y- when you are looking at a when you talk about the pontification about the industry, right, the the field uh, that we're in, uh, so much of the pontification uh, is around what higher ed is going to look like in you know in our twenty year plan. When so much more power is in what is our unique uh, our unique position in our campus? What is the unique thing that we do for our unique student body? Uh, and how can we leverage that into what is our future? Because our future is not going to necessarily be tied to higher yeah. ed's future. And, and it's 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 fear that causes leaders in higher ed to not stay in that conversation about what differentiates us. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a powerful conversation because when you ask that question, if you answer that question and you get some consensus about what differentiates us, it it automatically leads to what should we stop doing? Yes. And and that is so it's it's much easier to not put that front and center because there's a lot of things, programs, services. I was just reading in the uh, the Chronicle this morning of a major university that is stopping their political science program and a whole bunch of other liberal arts program, and they ran the numbers, and they're making choices. Now, now I am certain if we sat down with faculty on that campus, some of them would say, this is antithetical to who we are, that we are not going to be running these liberal arts programs. Uh, that's a hard conversation. I don't think there's a right and a wrong answer either. I think that every university and college has to decide for themselves what is their brand, brand going forward, you know, not brand looking back. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of the looking back. This is who we were. Uh, the, the focus needs to be more and more what do we want to be looking forward it's a tough conversation. It's a tough conversation. You know, I've been having this conversation about branding, uh, you know, a lot as as a marketing person. You know, this is sort of right in in my wheelhouse, and I I feel like, you know, we use the word organization uh, often um, aspirationally, right? It, we we say organization when really we're not. Organization implies, you know. A, a group that is organized, you know, and we, we may be a group, but we are not organized. I think aspirationally, um, you know, we are made up of uh, elements, each individual of, of character and a brand of an institution is a group of people of character building an organization of character. And, yes. and and I think that is you know when you step outside of of that core experience of the individuals that make up your institution, you're stepping out of character and out of brand, and and that is I, I think a real challenge for for a lot of institutions that are making decisions based on the industry and not on character. Yeah, and 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 how I translate your your concept of you know individual versus group, and we're not really a group, is the conversation I'm paying attention to is how we throw around the word team mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. and if we're honest, if we were to define what a team means, uh, 
in the think about a, a sports team, right? And how a team operates, and it's about selflessness, and it's about what the, what the what the good is of the group. Uh, where are we trying to go? Sports is a, just a good simple analogy for that. Most groups are not teams from a behavior standpoint. It's a good aspiration to say we want to be a team. You know, one of the terms I'm throwing a lot around a lot more and people can relate to it is this idea, what does it mean to be a high-performing team, right? You might call yourself a team, but are you a high-performing team? Well, what does that mean? And that's another area that there's huge opportunity at the board level, at the cabinet level, uh, and at the senior administration level uh, to define what that looks like. And I think until yeah. they do it, in, until institutions – actually, let me put it this way. Institutions that really take that seriously and step back and reflect on how do we work more effectively together, they're the ones that are going to have greater traction uh, in terms of making tough decisions because they will be listening to each other more. Right. They will just like what we do with each other. We listen deeply. Well, actually, you listen really well to me. I'm not such a good listener. You're... <laughs> well, you got a lot on your mind. Yeah. Well, OK. But I, but, you know, listening is a, you know, we, we could spend a whole hour talking we, about listening. Well, we could. And this 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 whole the, the idea of what is a team could very well be another uh, another conversation yeah. itself. And so I'm, yeah. I, I, I have thoughts, but I, I'm, I'm going to hold them. You're going to hold them. Off? I'm going to hold them. I'm going to hold them. You're making me you're making me anxious now. We're going to talk about this again. Don't okay. You, don't you worry about a thing. Okay. Uh, this is a good conversation. I think it's a it, it's an important one for us to continue to have because this idea of where uh, of how institutions fashion their next steps is largely uh, on on the backs of themselves as individuals. And I think you know we need to remember uh, kind of kind of where this this takes us in a time of of you know when you're talking back to this point of anxiety, where does anxiety start? Individual anxiety as it leads to. Uh, the collective. I'll tell you where my anxiety starts is when I can't get a really good cup of coffee. Yeah, starts early. Seriously. Then. Yeah. Starts very early in the morning, unless I'm home. <laughs> I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, where am I going to get my good cup of coffee? <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you're at home then. That makes these conversations easier. Howard Title, thank you Sorry. so much for your time today. Uh, and uh, you should. Uh, we should do this again sometime. Okay, we will. All right, let's do it. For everybody else, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you're listening on the website at tybalink.com, thank you. You can also hit the subscribe button there and head straight over to iTunes. That's the greatest way to ensure you don't miss a single episode of Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybalink. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.